0: Good morning. Welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan and today is the seventh seventh, seventh of March. Of March. 2010. 2010. 2010. 2010. And joining me today is Chrissy. Hello. Craig. Hello. Our special guest star Susie, Hello. And our interview today, Adrian. Hello. Oh, and Colin. Hey, Colin. Hi, Colin. You yeah, g'day. How are you Colin's on Skype on a completely different computer, so we're going to forget about him until he actually pipes up and says something. Poor Colin. At random points in the conversation but don't hold it against
1: me. No, we won't. We'll try.
0: So, first thing to deal with is we're all going to meet Craig. That's me. Craig, introduce yourself. Well,
2: I've been a sceptic for at least 15 years now, probably longer than that. I guess I'm your typical middle-aged white male sceptic. For work, I'm a, I'm a software architect and developer. I'm currently um, building applications for use in the healthcare in- industry in the UK. I've sort of had a lifelong interest in science, probably influenced early on by the, by the moon landings always been a quite a logical person. I recall my primary school teacher saying to the class that I was very logical. Went to church as a child but was pretty much an unbeliever by my late teens um, and became quite interested in evolution and creationism when I encountered a a workmate that was a creationist and uh, had some long debates with him. So it was of how that all started and so that's basically me the the big thing that's coming up for me this week as i'm heading off to melbourne for the global atheist convention Woo-hoo. looking forward to hearing some very interesting speakers
0: and hopefully getting us some interviews with certainly, some famous I mean, people that we can play yeah. on our podcast <laughs> certainly future podcasts future podcasts
3: welcome craig thank you does anybody have any news items today colin yes What's coming up on the horizon? A self-charging cell phone. A what? Yes, your self-charging cell phone. They've had this in watches for quite a while. One of my friends had a Casio. Basically, you shake your wrist a couple of times and there was a like a flywheel inside it with a counterweight on it and a ratchet. So it'd just keep spinning round and round. Whenever you moved, it'd charge. They're trying to do the same thing with your cell phones and I guess take advantage of us putting all the effort in, walking around in handbags, pockets, whatever, capturing that. Almost like those, I don't know whether you've seen them, the torches. With the copper windings and the iron core, you give it a shake for about 30 seconds and you've got a torch that'd go for a wee bit. I think they're going to try and miniaturise it a bit more and, and put the same thing into a cell phone.
2: Mm, I would have thought a cell phone would require a lot more power to run with being a radio transmitter and than a watch would need. A watch only requires very small...
3: Yeah, exactly. I guess that's one of the reasons I've had so much trouble trying to do it because, you know, it is a power-hungry device. But no doubt they're making them smaller and, and more efficient. Plus, a lot of the phones aren't exactly that small these days and it shouldn't be too hard to figure something out they seem to be getting smaller and smaller maybe they'll have a handle on the side like they did in the old days yeah there's plenty of room in there I reckon and it'd be good because I hate being halfway through a call and having it run out now you just have to sort of bob up and down <laughs> look like a uh, jack-in-the-box or something while you're on the call try and charge a phone at the same time jog on the spot keep you fit as well yeah that's the one I actually saw a, a young inventors uh, is on Saturday mornings. Oh, yeah. Someone was trying to make a
0: charger for your phone based on the old crank radio chargey device. Oh, yeah. You wore it strapped to your knee. And as you walked, of course, you're generating this dynamo yeah. and charging up your phone, which uh, I thought was quite clever. But you're talking about a cell phone that actually jiggle it and it charges up. Yeah. Other news items. Susie, you looking at a couple of things for us?
4: I think the thing in the news that has to be my favourite has got to be the ghosts on Trade Me. Absolutely. So we should definitely talk about that. So somebody has put... Ghosts that have been captured by an exorcist from a spiritualist church up on Trade Me. Auction closes tomorrow, but current bid is $1,830. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so what you get is uh, what looks to be a sort of almost like a rosary bead type thing. And two little bottles of blue water. Holy water, I should add. Of course.
2: You're kidding. I hope they haven't drowned the ghosts.
4: Apparently just puts them to sleep. Um, so there's, there's two ghosts, one in each bottle. Um one little girl and one an older man I think but the person basically said that the uh, water was clear and then once the, the spiritualist had opened the bottles and the ghost had gone in they went blue
3: they're selling them on trade me like magic
4: I, yes like magic so I would like to offer an alternative so instead of thinking demons think chemistry and offering up a solution called methylene blue well which is basically an oxygen indicator so starts off life as a well you put it as a clear liquid if there's no oxygen there and then once you expose it it to oxygen it turns blue Funny enough so i guess if they had sealed containers which they then opened that'll be it
2: so how quickly does it turn blue
4: oh almost immediately so it was called the blue bottle experiment so there you go there's our two captured ghosts and we'll see how much they go for.
0: what i thought was interesting about that auction was reading the comments underneath and there's probably five times what there was when i actually read it the other day but the vast majority of these people who seem to be believers and are actually offering helpful advice like you shouldn't mess with the forces of darkness. These <laughs> ghosts are going to come back and and kick your yeah. ass or something. I mean, it was but it was phenomenal. I mean, there's uh, yes, virtually no amazing. one. It's possible that they were being filtered, although there were a few that, that obviously got through that were offering, should we say, a sceptical point of view or a slightly more. sceptical I guess the
2: reason the the bids are so high is because supposedly the um, the proceeds of the auction are going to a good cause <laughs> they're <laughs>
4: apparently going to the spca so we'll see that the claim what, yeah, the yeah that's the claim what's interesting is that when i uh, looked at this a couple of days ago it was up to two thousand dollars so some people i think they mentioned somewhere that trade me might be helping to filter out some people who are not making genuine offers so yeah that's interesting
2: from reading the story, what I saw of it was that the guy who was actually running the auction seemed to be have a genuine belief that, in fact, they had been exorcised from his house. Yes, um, he did seem to be a believer.
4: Oh, he claims there's been no activity in their house since last year when they were bottled. So
0: I've made a complaint. I, l- I clicked the report this auction button, and I I chose fraud as the option to to <laughs> make the complaint about. But the interesting thing about it is that the exact wording of that option is seller intends to defraud. So I couldn't make a complaint per se just based on the fact that there aren't any ghosts in the bottle. The, the key wording seems to be that the seller believes that there are ghosts in the bottle. And so it probably defraud, didn't then. count as a, as a genuine complaint. So, <laughs> yeah. So obviously, it's still there.
4: I believe that this person has quite a lot of other items and, uh, for sale because they're moving to Australia. Yes,
0: they are. So, so trying to raise some yeah. money. You're probably not allowed to import ghosts into well, Australia. Well, <laughs> <so I didn't laughs> yeah.
4: travel over water. Oh, okay.
0: I'm pretty sure that's vampires. <laughs> no, no.
5: If you're haunted by ghosts, and you need to take a sea journey, and they won't follow you. Oh, okay.
1: Oh, okay. But they can live in water.
3: (laughs) Well, no, they're asleep, though. They're in suspended animation, so... I have a look on on Trade Me just now, and I come across a perpetual motion generator, and the first line is, this generator literally defies the first two laws of thermodynamics. (laughs) (laughs) But I read further down, and it is a piss take. Oh, good. Uh, it's uh, two little asterisks. Uh, this generator is as real as any ghost in a bottle. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> so, uh, Kudos to that man. To, to explain a bit more, the design is really very simple. It uses a flux capacitor from an old DeLorean to snatch energy from the surroundings and change it into useful energy, i.e. powering a proton pack. Nice. Or a cell phone.
4: <laughs> so, yeah, the
3: guys have obviously uh, seen the one that Susie's on about. And uh, decided, righty hey, let's have a bash. We'll do one ourselves. Oh, that is classic. And you think something like this would go for a bit more than starting price of a dollar. No reserve. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder how many bids they're going to get. Oh, that's crazy. Mm. Oh, Other things that have been in the news recently, Destiny Church. Yes.
0: Destiny's Church. Now, if I'm right, this is just from memory, I think it's the Brisbane branch yes. of Destiny's Church. The pastor. Now, hang on, hang on. Destiny, this is Destiny Church. What did I say?
5: Destiny's. Oh, that's a band. That's not Destiny's Child. Child. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Destiny Church, and the pastor of the church has left with, what, 40 or something members? Or is it 400? Half
1: Mm -hmm. the the congregation. Half the congregation,
0: whatever the congregation
2: Well, the official line taken by the Destiny Church itself
0: is that there there were less than 20 that left. Right. right.
2: There was only 100 in the
1: congregation. Reports
0: vary. Surprisingly. (laughs) And the reason he left was because of the... What they call a covenant, and it was something to do with people had to give more money to the church, I guess, than what they
1: were. Was it the with. covenant ring, the three hundred dollar ring? There was, was something it?
0: about a ring as well. I'm not sure if it was the same thing or not, but yeah, the ring ring you can buy for three hundred dollars. Ugly and, ring.
1: Have you seen the photo?
0: No, ugly.
1: The
2: real problem with the church is that it uh, it's predominantly Polynesian and Maori people that attend.
0: Who generally can't afford the the tithing that church enforces. by Maori and Polynesian you mean lower socio-economic, as opposed to singling out individual ethnic backgrounds. Yes, uh, indeed, indeed. Indeed.
2: Well, they have indeed. to what tithe ten percent
1: plus up to two thousand
5: dollars in the next seven months. Is that is that mandatory? That's what was in the paper today. Oh, okay. Two hundred
0: eighty-five dollars a month. Interesting.
5: I mean, tithing is not unknown. I mean, most of the Polynesian churches have a tithing.
0: Most churches do ten percent tithe.
5: Your ministers walk out with their pockets full of money. And as yes. um, Brian Tamaki said, you know, God doesn't want him to be poor. No, obviously not. But no. then
1: in the paper today, they said, also in the Bible, they said you don't wear linen... Might get this quite wrong linen and cotton together. Yeah. yeah, it's in
0: Leviticus, but he
1: will be probably wearing that. His
0: house is worth something like
5: 1.2 million dollars, and he's got a fleet of Mercedes or some such. He gets he a half a
1: million such. dollar bonus a year, top of his salary.
5: Interesting thing is, no one is making any of these people go to the church, no one's being held at gunpoint. There is a choice here, and I mean, it is apparent that this is almost or if not definitely a cult type church you know, the charismatic leader, the tithing, and almost a slave-like devotion.
0: I was going to stop just short of calling them a cult. I don't think they meet all the requirements, but you can see how it's it's very borderline.
5: It's heading that way, and, and Brian Tamaki's probably rueing the day that he didn't actually create his own religion, because, you know, if you go by Scientology, it's a much more lucrative proposal to make yourself the god, instead of having to pray to the real god.
0: Well, that was one of the other reasons they left, I think, it was a lot of focus on Brian Tamaki instead of it's talking. Definitely about a cult of personality. Anyway. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. Susie, what were the other things we were talking about?
4: I've just been having a quick look up at some stuff to do with Wakefield and his GMC fitness to practice panel hearing, which happened um, fairly recently. So basically, Andrew Wakefield, who everybody knows from the MMR debacle, was up before the General Medical Council in the UK, and their conclusion was that he participated in dishonest and misleading conduct. So essentially, he had no ethics permission to do the studies that he did. Another little interesting thing that I found out, so he comes across as a a doctor at the Royal Free. He was a doctor at the Royal Free, is what they sort of claimed. But he was actually an honorary consultant, and his contract stipulated that he should have no clinical involvement in the management of patients. So that's quite interesting, because what you were led to believe was that he referred patients, or he was referred patients and stuff like that, as opposed to the finding them at children's birthday parties. But anyway, so on from this is the fact that at the beginning of February, the Lancet then retracted the paper properly but not based on the science but based on the fact that they the investigations weren't approved by the local ethics committee and this this was obviously a lie that he'd said in his paper so i guess next month april the 7th is when the committee is scheduled to decide whether the, the um, breaches constitute serious professional this conduct and so if and the, if so what will happen to him so that'll be in next but, month's podcast
2: did he, he actually have to show up at this committee or was it was it done <laughs> without him being uh, there
4: yeah i think no i think they usually do they usually do turn up because as i understand he's though.
0: actually based in the us now
4: yeah and i didn't find anything out about that so <laughs>
0: basically what you're saying <laughs> is that the reason it's been withdrawn from the Lancet is based on his ethical
4: yeah the, or lack of ethics the fact that he said he had ethics approval to do the very invasive tests they did on some of the kids but actually they didn't and his contract to the hospital he shouldn't have been allowed to say that any of the children needed tests Um, and I think that was one of the reasons why one of the other co-authors stepped down is because they they were allowed to do this they were allowed to be involved in the management of patients and they had actually put some children forward but said that they that they didn't have the symptoms that suggested that they need biopsies or anything so but they were done anyway.
0: So the Lancet hasn't had anything officially to say about the quality of the science of this paper. No,
4: and that's very telling. Okay.
0: But they're medics, not scientists. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> and just for the record, because we've got two experts in science with us at the table, the science of the paper was very, very
5: bad.
4: Science was terrible.
5: The science was terrible. I mean, I wouldn't call myself an expert in science because I haven't got a formal qualification, but I mean, it was, I mean, how it ever got, you know, How published. it
4: ever got published is astonishing, and the editor at the time, the reviews at the time, should be very 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 ashamed of their conduct
0: especially in hindsight considering the damages caused
4: and yes but even just the fact that a paper on 12 children with no controls and I mean' just that sort of thing just should not be published it's so spurious there was so many things wrong with it okay
1: was
0: there
4: anything else in that list of news items? There is, but nothing that I've found up about. What, what do else you want to is it? Close up. 1023. Oh, the
0: 1023 campaign. Brief update on that. Since last episode, we were talking about the 1023 campaign and the New Zealand demonstration, and since then they've also been on close up, which is I don't know what you'd describe. One of those new Your current the, affairs. After, after the news. Talk 7 p.m. Shows, current affairs. Current affairs show. Thank you. And it was quite good, I think. I can't remember it actually now. Anyone see that?
2: Yeah, I, I had a look at it on Friday night and uh, it, it was interesting to see the, the woman from the homeopathy association on there she had all the kind of special pleading going on did she seem twitchy to you <laughs> she just seemed very very nervous and very never seen her before so I wouldn't know what her normal state is not accustomed to being on TV no.
4: well I guess she would be if you're
2: trying to defend something as crap as homeopathy
4: basically it is one of these things where the person who has to stand up and say you know great. this is this is really great when clearly it's bullshit I mean <laughs> that must be so embarrassing being that person but they yeah. believe well yeah.
2: yes and I mean she was saying herself that it's a mystery and then you had Vicky on the other side saying no there's no mystery to her it's the, the placebo effect actually
4: it's really interesting that they've been going on now that there's evidence for homeopathy based on some paper recently and some I some electromagnetic about effect, that. yeah apparently. electromagnetic da 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 which I'll go and do some reading on that as well. that will
0: be good, actually, because I think we mentioned that last last time as
1: well.
4: The, um, I guess the other quick thing related to the homeopathy and stuff is the fact that the Science and Technology Committee in the UK, who had, uh, for anybody that didn't see it, had a fabulous meeting where they pulled in the homeopaths and they pulled in Ben Goldacre and everything, and it's it's great fun to watch. Anyway, they have now delivered their verdict, which is pretty damning for homeopathy. So they had a go at the homeopaths for essentially wasting their time at the evidence that they had, that evidence I say in inverted commas, that they put forward and basically said that it should be now have complete withdrawal of NHS funding and essentially should no longer be endorsed by the NHS, which is great. There are lots of people who are saying, well, you know, actually the money that people waste on this is not so great, and if it helps people with a placebo effect, blah, 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 but I think it's great.
0: So it just remains to see now whether they're actually going to act.
4: Whether anything happens, yeah.
0: What sort of money
2: were the NHS spending on homeopathy? The
4: amounts varied. Um, £4 million was one amount that I saw bandied around. So what's that?
0: Times three, it's £12 million.
4: Yeah, but extended rates are really bad at the moment. So 10 to $12 million. Okay, so
0: that's 1023 covered? That's it. Okay, and chrissy has got something. Yeah,
1: I'd just like to talk about Don Tolman, if anyone hasn't heard of him. He calls himself an author, public speaker, trainer, educator, entertainer, and I like this one experimental nutritional eating researcher.
2: Does he do kids parties as well?
1: (laughs) Probably. And those skinny balloons. In 95 he went on a 40 day water fast and then he drank one quart of freshly squeezed grape juice and ran a 26 mile marathon. He says. Lies, all lies.
2: So what, he had no water for 40 days? No, he drank
1: water only. No,
2: Water only for 40 days? No food,
1: nothing else, just water for 40 days. And he's done this three times apparently. He believes pills should be thrown out, cancer can be cured if you only eat good food. Oh, well, sold me. Let's join up. Yeah, absolutely. Don Tolman. I no, call him I call New him Ge- Nugget. Is he a New Zealander? No, he's American, but he has been here, and it says oh, okay. on here that there was a planned five-minute TV interview on Good Morning, and it was so interesting that they extended it for, to 35 minutes insane it says something
0: about good morning I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only interesting was a measure of scientific validity mm. or vice versa
4: there's one more thing that I'd like to mention that I want people to get involved in that is a UK thing but it's really important that everybody everywhere gets involved in so this is about the reform of libel laws in the UK oh uh, this
5: is uh, Simon Singh is yeah
4: it? so I mean, there's quite a few people at the moment but Simon Singh is one person who is um, currently being sued for libel by, the, by some cranks the
2: British Chiropractic Association the BCA yeah
4: so really sure shockingly I guess um, they had a decision in the courts uh, a few months ago that that essentially meant that Simon Singh had meant to basically call them cranks and be nasty about them so that they had a case to sue him he
0: used the word bogus
2: yeah
4: bogus and
0: the judge ruled that bogus meant that they were intentionally
4: yeah so just this week or last week he's been back because he's appealing
0: this is still appealing the meaning of the word isn't yes. it yes They haven't even actually got to any court cases yet.
4: Well, it was almost... I think he was actually given no chance to appeal, but then basically someone else, obviously somebody higher said, yes, you can appeal. So he's sat now before three really quite high-up people, one of whom has indicated that he's supportive of Simon Singh. So basically, the last couple of weeks, it was looking slightly promising, but for some reason, I guess, judges being judges, it's going to be ages before they actually release their judgment. So anyway, all I urge is for anyone who who hears this to get onto libelreform.org and sign the petition. The more people that sign the petition, the more chance we're going to get of changing these libel laws, which is basically people can come in from all over the world, can go to London and try and shut down scientists, anybody who criticises people for their bogus bogus things. So please, um, libelreform.org, go and sign. Is
0: that .org.uk or is that just it?
4: Just .org, .org. Right. yeah, go and sign. There's a couple
0: of different petitions that you can sign. I think one of them you have to be a UK resident for, one that we got through in the email recently. So just check the one you're signing and make sure that it's... Uh... Don't go signing any bogus petitions. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Even if you don't sign it, they have a wall. Certainly the one of them has a... The, I think the libel reform has a wall that you can just basically stay state your support so please go we'll and put a link up well. on your
0: facebook status and encourage as many people you, as you can to go and sign because the laws are quite ridiculous about. i'm doing it now yeah hey, colin's doing it oh doing thanks it. colin so at least wait you the be of the podcast colin <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. everyone there that's everyone that's listening that's mindless sheep wants <laughs> to follow colin and go and do that what are our libel laws like here in new zealand
4: i believe they're quite similar to the uk and in need of reform So hopefully, certainly the campaign in the UK is getting quite a lot of high-profile people behind it. Quite a few of the ministers are now starting to support it. Um, So it looks like something might start changing. But you know what laws are like. They take a long time.
2: Some good might come out of this. Some
4: good, yeah. And hopefully it'll move around the world too.
0: It's certainly raised awareness. I think it already has. I mean, the fact that the whole issue with BCA suing Simon Singh has just hit the press big time and it's just blown up in their faces especially with their initial assertion that they had a plethora of evidence to show that chiropractic is fantastic. And when presented, it turned out that what half of the papers weren't even about chiropractic. And the other th- you know, three, of the, three of the remaining papers were um, uh, poor quality studies and what have you. Everyone now knows, uh, anyone that reads a newspaper at least, knows that chiropractic is not an effective form of treatment. Yes.
4: Of course, that doesn't stop people from no, going not, time, No, no. It.
0: but it's certainly much more out there in the eye than it used to be, which is, I think is fantastic. Not um, that
5: we're saying it's bogus. No, no, we're, we're not saying <laughs> that we'd never say that. But other people
0: have said it. We're we not in any way saying chiropractic is definitely 100% bogus. No, none of us are saying that at all uh, in any way. <laughs> Shape or Chiropractic yeah. is bogus.
5: But we're
1: not
0: saying that. <laughs> or it's
5: satire. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes. Hmm. Yes. You better make it sound funny then, Nathan. I'll put, I'll put a laugh <laughs> track over it. But, um,
5: yeah. Yeah. If anyone hasn't seen it, there's a brilliant um, Stephen Colbert report where he's talking about you know how Sarah Palin was um, begging off about people using the word retard, but it was okay for Rush, you know, Rush Limbaugh to use retard because that was satire. So oh, he okay. called her basically uh, effing retard, but that's okay because it's satire. <laughs> <laughs> satire. Great.
2: Did he have notes written on his hand?
0: Okay, so we have an interview for you today with Adrian Kohler. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, Kohler, like the drink.
5: But it's about different.
0: And she is a brain surgeon. No, no, <laughs> no? no, that's
5: Aww. all right. The neurosurgeons will hunt me down like a.
0: Okay, I'll read out what she's given me. Here. Communications and marketing manager for the neurological foundation, which promotes neurological research, promotes research and oversees and organises public health initiatives for promoting brain health yes tell us about that the
5: main thing that we do is essentially is fund neurological research and New Zealand is pretty fortunate because it's actually the only non-governmental research agency for that and not many countries actually have a dedicated neurological research charity it's partly a consequence of our size because like many things you know in New Zealand because we're small we do tend to only have one or small but if you look at say the cancer research that's segmented across a I don't know, know how many different cancer research organisations there are. So it's really paid off for neurological research in New Zealand because what, what it does is it fosters careers more often. So you look at the track record of a lot of these people and they have started at the Neurological Foundation with a PhD. Mm-hmm. Then they go on to a research fellowship. Then we recently introduced a repatriation fellowship and then they go on to senior research and then full project grants. So that, And it's been going for 30 years so it's actually what it's doing is fostering neuroscience in New Zealand. And probably over the last 10 to 15 years, neuroscience has pretty much taken off as a main sort of cutting-edge research because of the technology has finally caught up to a point where you can look inside a living brain. And uh, I think Douglas Adams put it in a really brilliant way. If you take a cat and pull it apart, what you have is a non-working cat (laughs) to examine it. And that's always been the dilemma for brain research. The moment you start researching the brain up to, say, 15 years ago, it was always on dead brains. So FMRI technology, pet technology, all those sort of things are enabling you. To see the living brain and also at the same time we've hit this problem of the baby boomer generation and our population living so much longer so we've got a huge population bubble which has just hit the top end of 60 61 and that's in New Zealand is about a million people but worldwide it's, it's actually a huge problem because of neurodegenerative diseases so we're seeing not a, a growth and now I've got to get this right there's always a bit confusing there are not more people getting the disease there's just more people who could get the disease so I think it's the incidence rate is staying the same but the prevalence within the population is increasing and that's going to be Alzheimer's and dementia in particular so what they're looking at what everyone all neuroscience research the big sort of goal at the moment is finding either well for start how and what causes these diseases ways to treat them ways to prevent them and hopefully ways to cure them. So that's a big goal at the moment. So, and uh, at the moment, really, very much at the sort of just starting to understand, not just starting, but really starting to get a grasp on how the brain works and the complexity of it. And there's already been a couple of breakthroughs. One of the really interesting ones is, do you remember that movie, Lorenzo's Oil? It was about the young child who has a disease with an impossibly long name. And it's essentially a protein fails to express a type of oil in his brain. So if anyone knows the impossibly long name, that would be really helpful. <laughs> but for the Susie's first time. Susie's googling
2: it as you speak.
5: <laughs> and this is where neuroscience is. about ten years old gene therapy hasn't worked very well. But up till now, but in the last three years, there's been two or three successful trials of gene therapy. One in Parkinson's, which showed very promising results, and which was actually a New Zealander, Matthew Durning, who also has a lab here and in the states. And the labs here did some of the work towards that. And then in this disease, at the moment, that the children actually arrested for the first time, arrested the disease. You know, it's not a cure, but that's a major breakthrough.
2: So how does the gene therapy work?
5: Well, it's actually basically using a vector or a virus to take the genes within to the system and to mm-hmm. get them to start expressing the required protein again. Okay.
4: Has Susie found the work? I have. ALD. Arduino leucodystrophy. Thank you. Yes.
2: That's not that long. Too <laughs> longer names. ALD is much easier to remember.
5: Yes, <laughs> it <laughs> is. And all of the neurological disorders have impossibly long names. And that's really promising because gene therapy was quite, you were a few failures and then a few sort of like it wasn't going to work and suddenly it's taking off. So 10 years down the track from now, we'll be starting to see the stem cell treatments and everything coming on stream. Hopefully the Alzheimer's drugs coming on stream. And probably the biggest change has been the understanding of um, how our brains work. And there's been a major revolution over the last 10 years. And that's what I think is one of the most fascinating areas is this whole concept of neuroplasticity.
0: I'm going to ask you about neuroplasticity, but can we just go back to gene therapy just for a couple of seconds, just to help me understand this. So... We're on Stargate, <laughs> when they when they have the wraith DNA and they can turn someone into a wraith by introducing the retrovirus, that's basically what you're talking about doing. Yeah,
5: yeah, that basically is. And what's really fascinating, and I read the other day is that they're actually doing trials with the HIV virus and disabling it and using that as a vector because it is such an invasive virus that there's, I think I've read of now two trials where they're using a disabled HIV virus to introduce a gene.
4: So viruses are really good at targeting special cells. So if there's a particular cell that you would like to introduce your... Thing into this is why they're cho- choosing HIV it's really good at getting into certain kinds of cells so you can basically manipulate it essentially use it as your workhorse you take out the genes that are involved in disease and you put in the genes that you want to deliver so it's kind of hijacking HIV it's
0: fucking science fiction is what it is I love it
4: yeah <laughs> science
0: how much of the change are
2: they making to the HIV virus in order to do this is it a, is this sort of a a major change in the DNA of the virus, or sorry, probably it's RNA, isn't it?
1: Uh, what
5: is? <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to ask a virologist. <laughs> it's getting out of my field of expertise. But what it is is showing it as an example of where technology that ten years or five years ago wasn't working, and and feeling frustrated, and then now you're starting to see that it's worked in two examples. So it's that build, and that's the frustration with brain research. Is, and all research is that it's not a sudden cure. It is a long process of piecing together, and that's what we'll find all the research in New Zealand, especially, is basically just looking at each little bit of the brain and trying to build up this kind of overall picture of, of how it operates. It's still, you know, still really just touching the edges of it. So the, the neuroplasticity side was um, was a major, over, you know, turn, overturn of a major dogma, and that was that the brain was fixed and hardwired and nothing changed. And so it's come around now to this concept or recognition that, in fact, our brain changes every single day and that we it's constantly rewiring itself.
0: And you're talking physically, actually building new materials, yep. new connections.
5: And changing connections. So, I mean, there's various ways it happens. So it's, it happens when we learn something new. So every time we learn something new, the brain must change itself. I mean, we couldn't learn yep. new stuff if the brain wasn't, was hardwired. So obviously it makes sense looking back. How could you have thought it was hardwired? Because you would never, ever learn anything new. And then it's the concept when you have a stroke. Maybe the easiest example is when the brain is damaged, like in a stroke. Other parts of the brain will try and take over that function and do take over the function of the damaged area. So that's when the rewiring of the connections go, and that's that change. So the brain does try and repair itself when it's damaged, and other parts of the brain will take over. And you've seen examples of that when they've talked about people who have been born with um, parts of their brain missing. And the other half of the brain has just picked up that function, and, and they've been able to still, you know, function as a human being.
2: It's interesting. The brain knows to, to actually yeah. take over the functions. There's a bit of the brain missing, and the yeah. rest of
0: the brain says, "We should be able to do this," and he's, and it's not there. Well, so we'll do it instead. I mean, that's just
2: how the hell does it know? If you chop out the piece of your brain that, that moves your arm, and then you've got something off, some other part of the brain is going to take over. Yeah, I,
5: conceptually, or in fact, I, I wanted to talk about this book, um, which is if you really want to understand it, called The Brain That Changes Itself. And this is by Norman, I'm never quite sure how to pronounce it, D-O-I-D-G-E, Deutsch. Deutsch. And this is very much talking about this whole concept of neuroplasticity and he's gone around looked at various examples of it, spoken to different researchers and how it applies to our lives. And the fascinating thing, I think, is the brain has concepts of things rather than actual things. So it has a concept of our hand and how much of our brain you know how much of its brain it needs to give to our hand and i suppose one of the examples is when you have amputations when you have phantom limbs that when you lose it your brain still thinks the hand's there it has no concept and which is why you get that phantom pain because the brain still thinks that there is a hand at the end of, of that system. Episode
0: of House a couple of weeks yes, ago yes. where you had the guy's hands in the box <laughs> with the mirror. Yeah, the mirror,
5: yes, the and mirror. He was squeezing yeah, the and hand that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that to- that totally works. That is real, real. That's not made up.
2: Indeed, but was it? Is it that quick?
5: It can be. Yeah. Really. And, and wow. that's the thing about the brain is that um, it, it does seem to have its. You know, we're not necessarily the master of the ship. Because it does do things over and above what, you know, our conscious thought yeah. kind of controls. That's um,
0: something I heard a while back, um, people doing the research, and they were actually figuring out that the brain was actually making the decision to do something a split second before the, the conscious yeah. awareness was actually making that decision. And It was, it was quite yeah. um, interesting at the time. So they said, okay, now move we're your hand. And they were watching the conscious decision to move the hand, and then the, the actual signal was a millisecond beforehand. So, actually, the subconscious brain was deciding. But
4: it's funny because I don't think, I don't see this as surprising at all. Because this is what our brain is for. Our brain, our brain is not charge. Yeah, and it's both a
5: good and a bad thing. And that brings me to another book which um everyone should get hold of, and it's about a thing called Clues. I found this the other day, and I've been reading it quite a bit. And it's by a guy called Gary Marcus, and it's called Clue: The Haphazard ap- Construction of the Human Mind. And it sort of follows along the concept that, you know, how often do you go down to the shop to buy milk, bread, and a paper? You get a phone call on the way, and you end up driving to your auntie's house and thinking, oh, damn, I was meant to go past the shops. You know, that, and why does it happen to us? And um, his sort of concept is that basically, and this is also kind of a harks onto intelligent design, is that the brain was kind of cobbled together. The whole thing is a workaround. And his concept is that our brains are basically a workaround. So they weren't designed from scratch. You know, they're designed by descent, by modification. So you start out with the primitive brain when we were lizards or little mammals. And then as we evolved up to humans, everything's been layered on top. So it's why we get hijacked by our primitive mind all the time. So even though your most logical, rational mind might say, don't eat that chocolate... You know, you're still given into that impulse. And it's a really interesting way, because I think if you understand that concept of kluge, that it's cobbled together, that, like we are saying, the the captain of the ship is often the primitive brain, which is where you get the flight-fight response, those sorts of things, that it really makes your awareness of why we do things and why humans are the way we are. And also to understand neuroscience a lot more as well.
0: Which is always a good goal. Everyone should understand neuroscience a bit more.
5: Yeah, and there's a third book, and these are sort of books I kind of read that have given me a really good oversight, and there's a brilliant guy who I just love, this guy Robert Sapolsky, who would get the nomination for the best hair of any scientist ever. It's a very long-flowing. Even
2: better than Einstein.
5: And the one I've read is called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, and it's talking about stress and um, the effects of stress on our systems and the whole concept. He's a neurobiologist, and he does a lot of work with uh, primates, with baboons in particular. And what he says is that um, baboons are intelligent, they're well-fed, and they're a bit like humans, that they have enough time on their hands to make themselves miserable. And humans do the same thing as well. So he actually goes out and studies these baboon packs to see the effects of stress because you're also very aggressive, and they fight very territorial, and they they kind of fight in a very aggressive alpha male style. So you can... There's constant stresses there, and it's a really fantastic book. And he's other done other books about it, and it's to, the, how the impact of stress, which then leaks into links into neuroplasticity, because the stress in our lives, psychological stress, changes our brain, and and that's what you, is unique about humans in a way we can cause these changes as plasticity just by thinking about it. So we can use psychological stress will cause physical changes in our brain. And if we imagine something, we can imagine something and our brain will perceive it as being real. So you can imagine practicing piano and then go and practice actual piano and your brain will have made those changes. So does that mean that homeopathy could work if you believe that it won't?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask the question. <laughs> no, that's, <a> point, <laughs> but that's
5: directly the placebo effect. Yes. And that is directly what the placebo effect is, that your brain thinks it's real, so therefore it is real. And there's
0: been a lot of research recently with placebos. This guy came to the last convention, I think it was the last sceptics convention, and he was talking about just about the placebo effect and some of the things that they've done. And the brain actually produces the chemicals it's not just yes. that you feel better. It's like the, they give you a, a painkiller, and then they give you the placebo, and your brain produces the, the, the painkiller.
2: Mm. Wow!
0: Uh, I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah, we is. should have an episode on just on the placebo effect. Yes. A
5: placebo well, episode. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're deviating. But it, is, it is, is, and it's getting stronger, which is really interesting, because apparently it's ruining drug trials at the moment because the placebo effect is getting so much stronger. But it's the same thing with psychological stress. If you're lying there at night imagining something which everyone does or thinking about stress or a stressful situation in your life... Your brain is not thinking, oh, she's lying in bed, she's safe. Your brain is acting yeah, in the same way situation. as if you were in that stressful situation. Because so it will feel all of the effects yeah, of yeah. that. And you get the same thing. You get the release of yeah. the cortisol release. Mm-hmm. You get the adrenaline release. So that would
0: be a good argument for not practicing that conversation you're going to have with your boss tomorrow. While yeah. you're lying <laughs> in bed. <laughs> <laughs> While you're lying in bed at
5: night. Yes. Yeah. Or practicing it just before you're going to see him. So your brain, and, and in a positive way so that you you know can env- envision yourself you know, winning rather than yeah, losing.
2: So, is there any evidence that it's it's only humans that have this this effect? You're saying about the baboons, obviously uh, having having time on their has to worry about things. Are there any other animals that they've um, they've seen this sort of effect in?
5: I think that a lot of the primate studies have um, do similar things. The baboons apparently are a great model for us. Um, I haven't read up on other primate studies, but they probably have. I know the baboons are really. Good, but the problem with them is they can only study the males because the females apparently are almost constantly pregnant, and they don't stress them to that extent. See, being pregnant's easy. <laughs> there we yeah, go, yeah, the yeah. proof. <laughs> yeah, <Whoa. laughs> podcast. Being pregnant is not stressful. Thank you, Adrian. <laughs> <Not stressful>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one way to avoid being a guinea pig in a research trial. <laughs> I'm pregnant. Is that what you said? Well, they're
0: not, they're not. They don't have souls, so why don't we just experiment <laughs> on them? Who cares? They're not no, like they're real no, humans. No,
5: yeah. Unlike like the orcas who are revolting against the you know. oh,
0: that was great. That was a good news article too about the the Christians that were claiming that the the orca should have been put down the first time that it killed someone because of Leviticus, and now it's killed again. Leviticus states that the owner must be put down as well as the owner, <laughs> as well as the ox or orca. Isn't Leviticus great when when you want something from it? You can
2: use the Bible to justify anything.
4: How high up the food chain do we go? Of uh, SeaWorld or whatever they are.
0: Well, if it kills the fourth time, they have to kill God. The the owner could really the owner is SeaWorld, so SeaWorld has to die. (laughs) You're talking about going into bankruptcy or shutting the company down. Exactly to to meet the laws of Leviticus, uh, fully in this case. Wow.
5: That was a major segue. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no. We do that. We might have
0: even cut that one out. <laughs> Someone mentioned orca whales, and, and it got me thinking.
5: Oh, actually, that was me. I, I mean, it's uh, even that sort of mindset. I mean, the neuroplasticity, I mean, it works against us as well, because the guy gives a really good example, is that our brains are a bit like um, a snowfield. The first time you go down... It's like a, it's, a, it's a trail, and gradually they get stronger and stronger and stronger, so eventually, even if you want to go somewhere else, it takes less energy to go down that well-worn trail and and that I think is why we are so easily trapped into patterns of thinking because it's just the energy conservation I mean most things in biology and nature are about energy conservation it's just easier to do that pattern of thinking because that's a neural pathway that's been established in your brain and unless you consciously throughout your life work at having vast neural networks of lots of thought then you do get trapped in that that tunnel vision and that's that cognitive reserve that um as you get older and they found people with dementia at autopsy who had never displayed symptoms of it tended to be people who have these vast cognitive reserves so it's like it's a buffer because you've got this vast dense, dense network of neural connections that as your brain is maybe deteriorating or dying you've got it's, it's like having, you know, the big scrubby bush out the back. You know, you can keep hacking away for quite some time, but if it's really dense and thick, and you know, it takes all quite a lot to get rid of it. And it's all these concepts that are coming through now, is, and how to harness them and um, and use them to to cure these diseases. So
0: not only do you have to exercise your body and eat right, you also have to exercise your mind as well in yeah. order to stay healthy. So it's just getting more and more difficult to be a bloody
1: human.
5: <laughs> you can. Yes. No, it's not because I think it's going back to the lives we had before. Because the, the the lives, the people who live the longest, I like the Okinawans, are people who have lifestyles that are more not traditional but fuller, in the ways that they they exercise as part of their lives. They don't do you know formal exercise. They eat plant-based diets like Nana told us too, and they're really socially engaged and all these things.
1: Did, did you read in the paper today about the, uh, telling people now to stand up while they're at their computers and yeah, yeah, don't yeah, sit yeah. down
5: just, just
2: and lose weight? Standing up actually burns more calories than being sitting down.
0: Well, thank you very much, Adrian. That was a very interesting uh, interview. It was a pleasure. And uh, we all now know a little bit more about... Thank you Adrian A bit rambling A little segue into the (laughs) orchestra No it was very interesting And then some of us jump in with our stupid stories There's
4: one other thing that I want to do I want to call to arms And I wonder whether this podcast is one of the forums to do it in
0: Absolutely is As as long as you need an extra four or five people (laughs) And by all means Use our podcast as a forum
4: It's about the publication model for science I think it's broken And I would like to start encouraging scientists To think about how we can change it
2: So for any of our listeners who are actually scientists...
4: So, okay, well, and I think it's something the public should be aware of. So it's certainly a problem in biology, maybe not some other subjects, but basically in biology, so this is kind of quite appropriate given that Adrian's here, but we apply to charities or we apply to government for our funding, and you write these things and then you get the money. So essentially the taxpayer is paying for science, and then we do our science hopefully very well and we get get a nice answer and we want to publish it in a paper. So we write it up and then we send it to a journal. And if it's accepted in that journal, it goes through all its peer review and all that kind of stuff. Then what happens is the scientist then has to pay a page charge to have it published. So we pay a few thousand dollars to publish our paper. We also have to sign away copyright to the journal to have it published. And then the journal charges the universities and everybody else a subscription to get back the papers that the scientists have written and paid to have published, funded by public, to do the work. So um, I'd like to start thinking about this and finding out where is all this money going? Who, so Nature Publishing Group, who owns Nature Publishing Group? Where's all our money going and why is, I mean, I know there are other subjects where this doesn't happen. So why in biology are we accepting this? The ac- accepting that and giving away our copyright and then being charged to access our own journal, our own papers. This is Lawrence Krauss, and you're listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast.
0: So, we've got a word of the day, and that word of the day is... Capnomancy. I always love the mancies. It's divination by means of smoke. What? Capnomancy. Divination by means of smoke. I presume that's watching the smoke and the smoke patterns.
2: No, not sucking on a fag. Well, yeah. Step outside for a fag and have a think about
0: things. <laughs> as long as you can tell the future while doing it, then that counts, I think, by means of smoke. Is
4: there
0: a cat no Cat is ailearomancy. Oh. The art of divination by watching cats' movements.
4: Oh. I nearly thought you were going to say something else about watching cats' bits. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: movements. The way a cat moves and uh, divination of the future is ailearomancy. Oh, no, not bowel movements. No, No. no. Yeah, so that's
2: my word go, Craig. We have a quote from the late Dr. Carl Sagan. Skeptical scrutiny is the means in both science and religion by which deep insights can be winnowed from
0: deep nonsense. Dr. Carl Sagan. All right, thank you everyone for coming again. Thank you, Adrian.
5: Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure.
0: Welcome back anytime. And Susie, no doubt we'll be hearing from you again in the future.
4: I hope so. Especially yeah.
0: when you've done some research for us. Yeah, yeah, Susie. Get you in to tell us what we couldn't be bothered finding out
4: ourselves. <laughs>
0: you've been listening to the completely unnecessary sceptical podcast if you have any comments or questions any ideas for interviews check out our website thecusp.org.nz